Thank you for tuning in to the Bread of the Word podcast. Bread of the Word is an online ministry striving to feed people the life-sustaining bread of God's Word. Bread of the Word exists for the reclamation of the Bible in the heart, mind, and walk of all the saints of God, for it is the Bible itself which is the ultimate standard by which people are to live and honor God. Thank you for tuning in. This is Bread of the Word. Hello and welcome back to the Bread of the Word podcast, Reclaiming the Bible and Exalting Christ, one verse at a time. My name is Tyler and I'm excited to be with you as we continue our study in the book of Romans. I'm very excited about our topic today as we wrap up Romans chapter 13. Um, this is a very powerful concept that we'll be talking about today. We're only covering two verses, but these two verses are so rich in experiential like lived out theology. I'm excited to share with you some of what God has shown me in these two verses. So without further ado, let us read Romans 13, verses 13 through 14. And it says, Let us walk properly, as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That is the text this afternoon. And in this portion, Paul is wrapping up this section on sin and submission with a call to the light. In some ways, these two verses are both an indictment and an invitation. An indictment against our sinfulness. And an invitation to put on the righteousness of Christ and to walk in true holiness. So, verse 13, let us walk properly as in the daytime. Paul calls us to walk as though during the day. And the Greek word he uses is himera, which is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, often called the Septuagint, to describe sunlight. We could go all the way back to Genesis 1 with let there be light. And he called the light day and the dark night. And it's that same Greek word, hemera. Paul is using this illustration of sunlight to describe how we are to walk as Christians. John 12, 34. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. As believers, we believe in the light, which is Christ. And light illuminates our path. And consequentially, it also shows us the dirt on the road. The light of Christ shows us our filth in extreme detail. 
one glimpse of the glory of Christ, and Isaiah cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone, I am ruined. And so there's, there's a positive and a negative aspect of light, because we are sinful people. And we are walking in the dark, it says in the Bible. But light also shows us our sin. It exposes and illuminates at the same time. Which is how this passage is both an indictment and an invitation. Now there's a positive and a negative, and they are complementary. Psalm 130 says, If thou, O Lord, should markest iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? So, we are all sinful. If God was to keep a record of our sins, which he does, none of us would stand. None of us could earn a seat at this table. None of us could earn a place in this room. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So, as Paul says, let us walk as in the daytime, when what we do can be seen and exposed. And that statement is both an invitation to holy living and an indictment against that and against who is not holy. Consider the rest of the verse. Not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy. These listed here are grotesque external sins. They do not want to be exposed. And when they are exposed, we see them. And we don't like them. Um, when we meet people that are consumed with jealousy and strife and quarreling, there's the, typically those are not people we like to be around. And we work all the way up that list to um, some of the more uncomfortable ones, such as sexual immorality. Paul literally puts that in its own category and says, flee from sexual immorality, for no other sin defiles you like that. These listed here are grotesque sins. They are ugly, and they do not like to, be, to have light cast on them, to be exposed. And for further detail on the weight of this list, Paul describes their outcome in Galatians chapter 5. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So these are the fruit of the spirit. He, he's, sorry, these are the fruit of the flesh, he says. These are the works of the flesh. But they are not the substance of the flesh. These are merely the outworking of the sin nature that you and I inherited from birth. And Paul calls on us to live differently, which is something outside of, outside of us, something antithetical to our nature. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that a Christianity that is fully within you is a false Christianity. That really, the Christian life is outside of us. The thing we call the Christian life is external. Romans 8 says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, not to that sin nature, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, 
ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. In short, there is a new operating system if we are in Christ. We have a new way of doing things, of seeing things that is outside of us. So then, in order to draw out the, the rich content of this verse, um, I would like to now give attention to how we might go about this process of mortifying sin, as it says. That we are, this mortification of sin that we are called to, and are also told, is outside of us, which seems like a contradiction of terms, but I believe that it is actually not. And I believe that this is something unique to Christians, that this is something that we can only do through the Spirit, because it is outside of us. And therefore, God has to intervene in our patterns. <clears throat> And do something in us that we could never create of our, of our own ability. And therefore, there is this, almost like a dance, that there's our responsibility, but there's the enabling of God to take responsibility for sin, to see sin as it is, and act accordingly. And so I would like to lay out three practical elements to walking as though in the daytime, to put on the Lord Jesus, as it says, and to not make provision for the flesh. And the first one is abide in Christ. John chapter 15 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken to you. The word is made is clean. Abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more, no more can ye, except you abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth fruit, and much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And I, I know that's the King James. It sounds a little weird. But the King James just has a certain bite to it. And I think this passage is one that should have some bite. That apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And so to begin with this process of, as Romans 8 says, to mortify sin, to put it to death, to begin, we abide in God. We bring nothing to the table in the purging out of sin. We come to God to be cleansed by his word, by the cross. And the cross declares us clean and righteous in the sight of the eternal judge. Now, the work of the Holy Spirit, in part, is to draw out of us that which was unattainable before. And so the Spirit works in us to create patterns of holiness that before our patterns were characterized by the works of the flesh. But now we are being conformed to Christ's image through the work of the Spirit. And he is creating in us patterns of holiness. Patterns that are in accordance, in accordance with what God loves and what God hates. I find no better example of this need than Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, 
and my sin is ever before me. So David is in this psalm, he is crying for atonement, to be washed of his sin, to be forgiven, as all of us do. We need to be rescued from sin. We need that, that, that role of all the sins we've committed, we need, need that cleared. Because if God was to keep track, which he does, none of us would stand. David continues in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And that Hebrew word that we translate as create is a word that is reserved for the actions of God. It goes all the way back to Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, there are human words for create, but when they write the Old Testament, there are certain Hebrew words that are reserved for God's creation as opposed to man's creation. Because this idea of being made new, of being redeemed, is reserved for God and God alone. John Owen puts it this way in his book on the mortification of sin. Mortification is the work of believers and believers only. To kill sin is the work of living men, where men are dead, as all unbelievers, even the best of them, are. Sin is alive and will live. This, then, is a general rule. Be sure to get an interest in Christ, for if you attempt to mortify any sin without it, it will never be done. We have to abide in Christ if we are to do away with sin, if we are to be redeemed and sanctified. If sin is going to have less control over our lives, and we are to see the Spirit at work in us, we have to abide in Christ, because Christ <clears throat> is the centerpiece here. And when we take out the atonement, when we take out redemption, and we try to muscle it with like willpower, we're not doing anything for this nature that we have. We're modifying behavior. But it's a heart change that needs to happen. Create in me a clean heart, God. And that can only come from abiding in God. Number two, it calls us to take inventory. And part of taking inventory is being held accountable. And accountability hurts. It, it does. I'm not saying it doesn't. But to be called out on your sin is... It's uncomfortable. It is very painful sometimes. But it needs to be done. Sometimes our pride needs to be shattered. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Which is a statement that you are asking God to search you. You are opening the door for the truth to come out. Because he sheds light where we don't want there to be light. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. The Holy Spirit, like the daylight, exposes our sin. And he forces us to look directly upon our filth, to own our corruption. In order to deal with our sin, we first have to recognize it as sin, which is what one of the things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer, is he illuminates, he exposes, and he guides in the way everlasting. 
So it is only by the Spirit, it is only by being born of the Spirit that we can, as this verse says, walk properly as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness, nor in sexual immorality and sensuality, nor in quarreling and jealousy. These are things that the New Testament writers place in their own category. These are sins that are grotesque and destructive. Paul Strata tells us to flee from sexual immorality. We have to take this seriously. We were once slaves to sin, but Christ set us free. And so now we are wrestling with a conquered enemy. And so we abide in Christ. We take inventory, and more accurately, ask God to take inventory to illuminate our sin and expose it. And number three, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's verse 14. The phrase put on implies clothing imagery. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, as Luther describes it, because we have no righteousness of our own. To put on the Lord Jesus Christ is to be unified with Christ in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection. The person and work of Christ is, that's a package deal. And we are encapsulated with that. We are enveloped in that because of what Christ did and who he is. That, we can't separate those out. To be in Christ is to be in all he is and all that he has done. Not in the sense that we become Christ, but our identity, our, the very fiber of our being is now defined by those two things, the person and work of Christ. Colossians 3 gives us a beautiful picture of what this looks like. And Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, and set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you two once walked, when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all, and in all. That we are defined by this, this new creation, that we are in Christ, that he has made us new, and those old patterns are being removed. They're being broken apart, and our filthy rags have been taken away from us. And such beautiful new ones that are the righteousness of Christ sit there in their place. But it is worth noting that being sanctified, that combating the sin in our lives, and taking on those new patterns of holiness, that's not a 
haphazard process. That's not something we casually stroll through. It is, it is work. It is hard. That's why Paul says, make no provision for the flesh, because we have to be on guard. Haggai chapter 2 paints a pretty strong picture of this, using the priestly imagery. Verse 11, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask the priests about the law. If someone carries holy meat in the fold of his garment, and touches with his fold bread, or stew, or wine, or oil, of any kind of food, does it become holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then Haggai said, If someone who is unclean by contact with the dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priests answered and said, It does become unclean. Then Haggai answered and said, So it is with this people, and with this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. In short, it is easier to fall into sin. You will not fall into righteousness you, you won't stumble upon holiness. It must be intentional. This is our daily pursuit, to die to sin and live to righteousness, to be continually conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We are sanctified by an external work of God. We do have a part to play, and we ought to be vigilant to not give the flesh an opportunity. And we must seize opportunities for sin, to set up guardrails to keep us on the right path. John Bunyan draws a picture of this in The Pilgrim's Progress by showing Christian walled in along the way. We must wall ourselves in and be sealed in Christ, as he has done through the cross. That when we are unified with Christ, we are sealed. As it says in Song of Solomon, Set me as a seal upon thy heart, as a seal upon thine arm. For love is as strong as death, and jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals, therefore, thereof are coals of fire, which has a most vehement flame. Christ has unified us to himself through the cross. Now we, are, we as the New Testament church have union with Christ through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension back into heaven. And Christ will not share us with the world. Christ will have all of us. Let us commit ourselves anew to the daily pursuit of living for Christ and dying to the world, to mortify the flesh and its passions, and to seek ways to deny its provision and gratification. Let us strive to live a life that is further controlled by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Bread of the Word podcast. I pray that it has been beneficial to your walk with God and that he has called you into a deeper relationship and fellowship with himself. If you want to hear more from Bread of the Word, feel free to hit that subscribe button down at the bottom. Get notified about new content whenever we go live. Um, you can also watch us on Rumble Video and YouTube, or you can listen on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, you can also find us on social media if you want to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Gab. Links will be provided in the bio um, if you would like to check those out. And there will also be a message in the comment section, um, a free gospel message for download entitled The Two J's, The Joy of the Potter and the Journey of the Clay. That is something that I've written 
That's something God laid on me to write and then send out. And so I'm not making anything off of it. I'm not selling it. It is free for you to read and share. We need a further saturation of the gospel in our world, in our culture. And it starts right here. Bread of the Word Ministries exists for the reclamation of the Bible and the exaltation of Christ through the reading and teaching of His holy transformative Word. I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. God bless. Matthew 4.4 4.